Good morning, heart and soul, and happy Black History Month. Happy Black History Life. Can I just say that this living in a place of conscious awareness, just setting an intention to do that, to be that, is, is transformative. Let me just say it's challenging. Because it's easy to fall asleep. And truth be told, sometimes we take something to fall asleep. Because we, it's, it can feel challenging, painful, very difficult to stay aware, to live in a conscious and intentional awareness of exactly what time it is. It requires something more of us. So I'm grateful, always. I'm grateful for life, let me just say that. And I'm grateful at this little intersection of life, right in through here, where we are celebrating Black History Month, where we kind of slow things down a little bit and talk about that that many of us know and have known forever, we just kind of pull over and park and look more deeply at what it is and what it means. What is the impact? What is the significance of that life lived possibly so long ago and in such a painful and disrespectful time what can we know about that? What can we know, not just historically, even though I don't want us to miss that opportunity, but what can we know for right now when we look at our ancestors' experiences, challenges, wins? What can we learn? What can we incorporate? What can we honor? What can we acknowledge about ourselves? So at least that's, that's how I use it. Sometimes it wears me out, I have to tell you. Just looking more deeply at an individual's life. 
and not just a historical moment, an historical moment in a book, but as we together breathe life into our life, into the life of our ancestors. What can we glean? How can that benefit us? I just offer that for your consideration so that we don't just see this as an event. We own it as an opportunity to surrender and acknowledge our oneness, to know that that individual then is me, to know that those individuals there are me, and that they are alive in my living. And even more so as I acknowledge their living and that it was not in vain. This is our opportunity. And so we've kind of, um, during black history, we have um, kind of sweetened the pot, if you will. We just want to, I want to encourage us to pay attention. And so I know you are. And we have added a raffle for those who pay attention and play the game. And so here's the game that we're playing. It's the every Monday, a question will be posted on our website. There's a link through our, how, how do they get to the question? To the link. Okay, so we're going to give you the link, and you, it will also be in our uh, recap. So here's the deal. You don't have to work hard to do this. All you have to do really is pay attention and then click in the proper place. So there'll be a question available on Monday, and you'll have until Friday noon to answer it correctly. Only we're asking you just one entry. We're not trying to do a whole lot of extra work because each person will have just one opportunity. So your correct answer will be submitted before Friday at noon. And then on the first Sunday in March, we'll have the drawing. And then we thought, well, I thought, to the dismay of those who were supporting me, that what if I felt like there could be another opportunity for the folks who play full out? I know somebody will just remember one time and they'll just do it one time. And I ain't mad with that. Go and do it the one time. But for the folks who are like, you know what? I know that it makes a difference what I do consistently. And so I'm going to do this consistently, meaning that every Monday I'm logging in and I'm going to put the correct answer in, et cetera. So there'll be, that will be an even separate little raffle pulling. You understand what I'm saying? There's the general raffle pulling. But then those individuals, so use your same email, please. Make it easy for us. Use your same email and name. You have to play in the, back, in the back room of this. You understand what I'm saying? To understand how important this is. Use one name and one email. Y'all are way too busy a lot of the time. So when you do that, then we, of course, will do the pulling on that, mon on that Sunday and make the awards, okay? Yes. Um, so, last week in my talk and 
the question will be born out of my talk. And so last week's question was, what common household utensil was Aunt, was Aunt Polly? Aunt, Aunt Polly was Aunt Polly said to have used as a weapon of resistance. This is my tribe for real. And the answer is, congregation, a butcher knife. Yes. Okay. So every week there'll be the question. And then the answer will be revealed on that next Sunday, and off we go. And we are, you know, the ball is in play, she said, specifically on Super Bowl Sunday. Just trying to make a little, I'm not, I don't, well, here we go. All right, so here's what I want you to know is that, and this is a shout out to the Heart and Soul Beautification Circle, that every week, in the sanctuary, there is a black history display that shifts every week. So last week, it was books around education, etc. And so this week, it's the arts and entertainment. And oh, it is a sight to see. So you can see on the slide to give you just a little sense of some of what's there. But if you're in the building, then be sure to take a look uh, while you're here. Last week, we reenacted something we used to do every year, black history. The ensemble sang, eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the prize. Hold on. And there was, there's a line in the, the a part of the lyric that I want to highlight again this week is, the only, this is the way that uh, Sweet Honey sings it. Sweet Honey and the Rock sings it. The only thing we did wrong, we stayed in the wilderness a day too long. Well, indeed. Yes. So look, that's where I want to start this notion of what we continue to do, even though we have some sense that it no longer serves us. Now, sometimes we know, and we know that we know that it never served us, but I'm not going to go back that far. I'm just going to start at the point of realization that it isn't serving me right now and that there's an opportunity to make that shift. What we practice and in, what we uh, teach and endeavor to practice really gives us everything that we need to make the kinds of decisions and then back them up. Not just with resolve, but with a spiritual practice that then supports us in changing our attitude, changing our thinking, changing out the way we see it. You, you, you know, a few months ago, I'm guessing now, I'm, I've lost track of when it was, I got this, I catch these pictures sometimes, and, and they don't always translate, but what I created was was this idea of, of how essential it is that we hone our intuition, that we make friends with our sensibilities. And when I say make friends, you, you know what it's like. It's a difference between knowing somebody and seeing them regularly and being in relationship, in loving reciprocal relationship. That's friendship. Now, I know a lot of times we say, that's my friend, and they don't really know your name. 
I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. Because we have a variety of ways that we approach and the way we bandy about terms. I'm talking about an authentic friendship where everybody in it agrees that that's what it is. And so this is an opportunity for us to do that within ourselves. And this could be a whole series of talks, really, where we make friends with our mind, where we make friends with our thinking, where we make friends with how we see ourselves, we make friends with our reflection in the mirror. And when I say our reflection in the mirror, I mean literally a mirror, but I also mean the mirror of our eyes. Where we make friends, I recall and I've spoken about those times when when I realized that the way that I spoke to me, just in private, just the way myself talk, I would not have had that talk with anybody else. I would not have used that tone. I would not have had that kind of intention or that kind of disregard for anyone in my speaking. But I caught myself and realized how I disrespected me, how I was not befriending me. I wasn't even acquaintancing me in those moments. Now, this was not the whole of my relationship with me, but this was when I, when I felt like I had um, done something inappropriate or wrong or anything in that sense of judgment in that branch of judgment, if you will. Is this making sense? That I would just, you know, kind of take me outside and... So, the idea is to cease and desist and instead to lovingly be understanding and embrace and and create the space where I could make mistakes in my life, where I could honor that I'm human. Now, I would say it, but I wasn't really behaving with me as if it was okay for me to be. Is this making sense? So, I know my tribe. I know that this is present in the room and in our cyberspace. Here's the challenge. Begin to feel I'm going to ask you to, to put up that, that slide, begin to, to sense a different relationship with self, a different sense of who and how, and somebody would say whose I am, because that could begin to, to shift my sense of the way to set up that relationship. It would be a new relationship, one that would be based in love and compassion and understanding and acceptance and all of the things we pretend like we are with ourselves. So we begin to literally feel that. And if we can't feel it, we begin to see it. We begin to envision that, what if, how would I be with me if I really cared deeply about me? When I made that mistake and I acknowledged that I made the mistake, would I, could I find a way to understand how I made that mistake? like I do for other people. uh, Is this making sense? So maybe I could just hear me beginning to speak about me to me in a different way. Rather than saying, now that was stupid, I'd say, whoa, we don't want to do that again. (laughs) You know, I, I begin to just have a different frame for it. Yes, 
And if I cannot see it, if I can't hear me, if I can't really sense it, if I can't yet feel it, I can begin to imagine it. This is why we have to hone our imaginations. I'm not pretending that you can immediately kind of get there, but you can imagine you there. And what's required, and this is why this year in particular and this first quarter, we are really top-loading, front-loading opportunities for us to practice consistency, for us to hone perseverance. Why? Because we need it. Because we need it. In those moments when push comes to shove, as my mama used to say, that's when if we have not been consistent and persevering, we're not likely in that moment and time of need, we're not likely to pull out our trump suit of perseverance and consistency. We're not likely to. We're likely to go with whatever we've been doing. Doing some name calling, feeling ashamed, drawing back, doing all of the things that do not support our intention. Yes, yes, okay. So look at this. Our daily read is Guidance for a Spiritual Journey by Dr. Daniel Morgan. And his lesson for today is entitled, Stop, Look, and Listen. He says the purpose of a spiritual stop, look, and listen is to effectively, effectively collect ourselves. So you can see that stop, look, and listen has to do with paying attention. I often say, keep your attention on your intention. This is another form of stop, look, and listen. This is being intentional. This is being aware. He says that the idea here is to effectively collect ourselves and keep the mind's attention on good, our intention, rather than evil, our non-intention. It is to acquire the habit of identifying our lives with our higher self. Because, we, because we're made to be masters, as we presently function, we are slaves to our fears. Often we are. That's what I'm talking about. We enslave ourselves to ideas that no longer support us or even sometimes never support us. He says, and I love the way he lays this out, he says, made to walk amid the beauties of God's heaven, we wade through the mud. Rather than lift head high, walking knees high, moving through, we instead wade through the mud. Poetic in his own way. Made for constant peace and joy, our hearts are in torment. You can read between the lines that they need not be. He says, made to stand erect with the dignity of God upon our face, our faces are twisted with indecision. Made for love, we hate. Made for strength, we are too weak to throw off the shackles of jealousy. Stop, look, and listen, and rise up 
with heaven in your wings. Oh, come on, Dr. Dan. Lay it out for us, yes? So look, no, I am. In Isaiah, in Isaiah 40 and 31, it says, but they that wait for Jehovah shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Can you see that it's an if-then proposition? (laughs) If you are waiting for the divine, the living one, by waiting, it's not hanging back. It's being attentive to. It's being attentive to, yes? So for those who are attentive to, they shall. Yes. Oh. And here's the thing, that we know this is true because we are trusting and knowing that it has the whole, the whole world in its hands, in its mind, in its heart. This we know. This we believe. This we trust. We were moved to go, oh my goodness. That's true. Now, I'm not teaching, nor am I asking you to believe that the living one, the strong one, has hands. But I'm all right if you imagine it that way, if that helps you, if that helps you to embrace a sense of being held, a sense of being protected, a sense of of there being order in the universe, then go on with your picture. Go on with using your imagination in the most useful, most empowering, most transformative way, using it in ways that make a difference for you, positive difference for you then do that for sure. Look, Alicia Garza, who co-founded Black Lives Matter, says that her approach to racial justice includes black futurist visions. And I shared this with you before that she holds Black History Month as Black Futures Month. You see, if you understand that there's order in the universe, and that's what that song says for me. He's got the whole world in his hands. There's a divine order in the universe where everything is unfolding in perfect order. Now, I know there's some things that challenge our sensibilities around order, but this wouldn't be the first time. And so this notion that the whole world is being held is worth at least reviewing. I'm going to challenge you to review it because it's, it's from that vantage point, it's from those seeds planted that my sense is that we can become black futurists. You, you see what, what often happens, and the young folks have said this to us many times, that there are so many young people who, do ne- who have no expectation whatsoever of being my age. And so what, what I think we can help to foster 
is black futurist is so that we begin to see a future for ourselves, that we, that we move out of this pool of despondency and this sense of, of, of failure forever. I know I've been there myself, where there's an authentic experience of failure, but there's no way to get to major success without having some of those, because that's where you learn. That's where you cut your eye teeth, Yes. So it's in those moments, if you don't know that, that sometimes we decide that that's all there is. That the rest of my life is going to be papered with this same wallpaper right here that I'm hating, that I can't stand, that has me turning against myself and others. So she is, is saying to us how important it is that we We've always been, we've always had communities and, and activists in community that were futurists, who saw another way. This is why we marched. This is why we made the kinds of changes. Because why would you start a black student union if you didn't believe there was any reason for us to come together? Yes? So there's so many things that we have, have done to create the opportunities for ourselves that come out of this sense of our future can be different. And that we are forming it in our current thinking. She says that because of the way that the rules have been rigged against our communities, we've been forced to imagine a new future with possibilities for freedom. Stop, look, and listen. Stop focusing old solely on what isn't working and how horrible it is. Ain't it awful? Yeah, but let's not just park there forever. So there is something there. We can review it. We can speak to it. But there, what are we learning from it? What is it revealing to us? There's some work for us to do. So we, we stop, we look, and we listen. What are we doing? We are trusting divine guidance. That's what we have declared that 2023, that we have committed to trusting divine guidance, I'm suggesting that this is part of the listening that we're doing. We're stopping, we're looking at what is this, and we're listening to divine guidance. And some of that looking is looking through our imagination. I know this looks like da da da, but maybe, because this isn't the first time that I've thought somebody was looking at me funny, and they didn't even see me. You know how we are sometimes. You're looking at me. You come to find out, no, they wasn't. It was. And so that look has, can have greater import for us. That look can help us to free up our sense of judgment our sense of certainty where we can stay in the divine flow. Yes? So look, this is truly an adventure in faith. Ah, look. This idea where we are invoking stop, look, and listen. And having that, see, we're... we're you know, I'm forever making baklava here on Sunday mornings where we're just layering in ideas 
And I need you to help me put it together in your minds and in your hearts. That's where we're baking it is in our hearts, yes? So look, this notion of that the divine has the whole world in its hand, this notion of us being futurists, that we are thinking beyond whatever just happened or what happened back when. We are holding, we are open, we're forming, we're imagining something beyond that, yes? And we're building in a habit, just like when we were kids, when they'd say, stop, drop, and roll. You know, we, we had that down, didn't we? Now, praise God, I was never required other than the drill to actually stop, drop, and roll. I'm grateful for that. But they drilled it in. So maybe we can self-drill in this stop, look, and listen with a spiritual intention, with an inner stop, an inner look, an inner listening. Yeah? So I want to offer for this moment, because I was about to say for black history, but y'all know I'll bring you something when it, it is not black history too. So for now, let me just say for right now, I want to share with you about a young sister, Ona Judge, 16 years old at the time that I'm start beginning this narrative. Ona Judge was one of nine enslaved people brought from Mount Vernon, to work in the president's houses in New York and in Philadelphia. This was when George Washington was elected, and he and Martha Washington brought a few of the 300 slaves that they owned to um, wherever. He was first in New York and then in Philadelphia and then ultimately in Washington, D.C. So on May 21st, 1796, a 23-year-old enslaved maid Ona Judge, well, she was enslaved. Well, I just said that, enslaved maid. Sometimes, here's what happens. So often, it is written with slave, 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 slave. And so I go through and change it to enslaved, <laughs> you know, because I'm, I want to honor the human. And so sometimes I get tripped up when I'm reading it to you because I'm not sure if I changed it or not. So the enslaved maid, which you know, nobody thought they had an enslaved maid. They called it something else. Okay. So she seized her freedom. Um, but wait, this is not where I want to. Yeah, this is it. This is it. Okay, cool. She seized her freedom from the president's house in Philadelphia while George and Martha Washington ate, ate dinner. So look, just to give you a little bit of background for how this, this Philadelphia and New York and D.C. play into this, that Washington took the oath of office as the first president of the United States on the balcony of the federal building in New York City on April 30th, 1789. Sixteen months later, the U.S. Capitol moved to Philadelphia, and the Washingtons took up residence in the president's house there. Here's what's key about Philadelphia. Although Pennsylvania had passed the act for the gradual abolition of slavery in 1780. Now, of course, they moved there, remember, um, in 1792. 
But in 1780, the Act for, grad, for the Gradual Abolition of Slavery was passed. Th theirs was the first government to outlaw slavery in the Western Hemisphere. The Washingtons transferred their house slaves from New York to work in the Philadelphia mansion, which would serve as the official seat of government until the federal city was completed in the District of Columbia. Are y'all following? Because there's a bit of a timeline. Kind of wish now I'd drawn a timeline, but I didn't, so you imagine it. Here we go. This Pennsylvania law made it possible for slaves of non-resident slaveholders to obtain their freedom while residing in the state for six months. So, when the Washingtons brought their enslaved servants to Philadelphia, if they were there for six months, they should have been set free sometime after that six months, immediately following what they did instead was the, they moved them. So they took them someplace else for a period of time and brought them back. And that went on for about four years in this particular case. Now, it went on for a good while, but for this particular enslaved person, they went back and forth for about four years um, to meet the, because they wanted to make sure that, that they had the appearance of the residency requirement, even though that behavior, that practice itself was outlawed. The first president, I'm just wanting to, I'm just wanting to be clear about what this is. Okay, all right, so, so we understand the importance here of being in Philadelphia and so forth. Okay, so then we have on May 21st, 1796. Now remember, they moved there um, in 92. So now it's 96. Um, she seized her freedom in Philadelphia while George and Martha Washington ate dinner. She had just learned that Mrs. Washington, Martha Washington, planned to bequeath her to her granddaughter. Now, the way that she was held, she had, uh, Martha Washington had been married. She was a widow when she married George Washington. So she had inherited a group of slaves. And because she had inherited them, she did not have the power to set them free. She could only pass them on. Okay, she, because there, there would have to be a whole system to ensure. You'd have to have backup plans to ensure that humans were continued to stay enslaved. You couldn't just let it work, because like other cultures had, because people ultimately became part of the structure and whatever, and they were no longer, everyone, nobody was held enslaved forever, necessarily. So... Um, so in an interview in 1845, published in the abolitionist newspaper, The Granite Freeman, in this particular, this is May 22nd, judge says this, this is on a judge. She says, whilst they, were whilst they were packing up to go to Virginia, I was packing up to go. I didn't know where, for I knew that if I went back to Virginia, I would never get my liberty. Futurist, do you, do you, I'm trying to lay this out. So you're enslaved, 
and you see them making plans, you see how they make sure they hold you enslaved by moving you back and forth, and you know now he has just been, he is serving his second term. So you know at some point you're going back to Mount Vernon because that's where, you see what I'm saying? So she's like, oh, I got to think, because I ain't doing that. I don't know how it's going to work, but the part I know is I ain't doing that. I'm not going back to Mount Vernon because I know that seals my fate in a way that I'm not willing to have my fate sealed. You got to be a futurist, folks. You got to know where you draw the line. And where you, because he's got the whole world in his hands, that includes the entirety of your being. But you got to start from a place of knowing that and believing it. Yes, Diagnosis, prognosis, um, uh, bank statement notwithstanding. You got to know something for yourself and be willing to, from the vantage point of knowing kind of whose you are and who you are, that something else is possible. And then from that energetic presence of something else being possible, you begin to define You choose something out of the infinite field of possibility. Because what's not in there is going back to Mount Vernon. But there's a bunch of stuff that's in there to be explored. Yes, is this making sense? All right. Okay. She says, I don't know where, for I knew that if I went back to Virginia, I'd never get my liberty. I had friends among the colored people of Philadelphia. I had my things carried there beforehand. You better ask somebody. What's your plan? See, I'm talking about there, there, but see, you don't, this is not a person who suddenly gets visited with a plan. This is somebody who's what? Stop, looks, and listens. So she not already handed off her stuff. She not leaving there packing stuff. She not already handed off a few things. Now there are many women who have been at the effect of domestic abuse who knew to do that. Who knew to hand off some money to some friends. Who knew to start getting some underwear elsewhere. Who knew to start, so when they leave, because they know they're leaving. If they live, they're leaving. And they got a plan. Okay. She said, had my things carried there beforehand and left Washington's house while they were eating dinner. So after she escaped Philadelphia... George Washington attempted to recapture. Now, remember, he's president, so we've seen some shenanigans of late. So we know how people know how to, know how to use political power in ways and connections. So he worked all that out. He discovered her whereabouts when a senator's daughter, because she had traveled with them for a good while. So folks knew her. They knew her as the freckled mulatto. And so they recognized her and told So he sent his nephew, who worked for him, by the way, was employed by him um, in a role there as a part of his administration. And he requested the Treasury Secretary's assistance 
in apprehending her. So he had a plan as well. They involved the customs people. It, they were busy trying to get her. So when they connected with her, they asked her to board a ship to return to a life of enslavement. She tried to negotiate with the man, saying that she'd return if she could be freed upon the deaths of her owners. The Washingtons refused that offer, and so she just didn't show up to board the ship. I was just, sometimes when I read both the slave narratives and some of the stories, what it reveals are responses and actions that we were taught didn't happen. You, so I already told you that while I'm not happy about the, the canceling out of the AP classes, I'm not clear they had them right anyhow. The canceling out from Florida's, um, the governor in Florida, that for the canceling out of certain AP classes for African American studies, that I'm not crystal clear that they had them all right anyhow, that they were telling the whole story like if we were owning it in our own education process, where we were writing the curriculum, the syllabus, and delivering it with the inaction, reenactments, and involving the arts and the science and all of the ways that we can teach so that folks really get it and not just talking, standing up as talking heads, my sense is that a whole other understanding could happen. So I'm not happy about it, but I don't know just how, I haven't decided just how mad I am, if at all, because I know that there's another way, and it has to be in our futurist thinking, in our futurist thinking, because I don't know who was teaching that stuff in Florida anyhow. I mean, am I wrong for just, I mean, I'm just, I just got a little bit of a wonderment Because I get that there was a curriculum and there was all the stuff, but I'm not clear that they were telling it all anyhow. I'm just, okay, I'm off topic now. Okay, let me me just, I'm glad the president of the board not here to just say, you know, could you get back to the talk? All right, here we go. So two years later, this is after she didn't board the, the ship. He asked, this is where he puts his nephew, who's his secretary, to seize her and the child that was born after she escaped. So she escaped, got married, had a baby, and he's like, bring her and the baby. This is the first president, I'm just saying. However, when his nephew confided confided his intentions to the senator, the senator told and she escaped again. See, allies. Allies. We either believe in one or we don't. You, you see what I'm saying? You just, mm, come on. She experienced, this is what we want to say about her, is that in the little, um, in the little publication for her return, we, we have a copy of that, as a matter of fact, because the reward, I think, was $10, which is, you know, somebody could, y'all got Google, somebody could tell us just what that is in, in cash now, $10 in, in the 1700s, in the late 1700s, is what was offered. But 
here's what happened for her is that she ended up living in poverty and hardship with no regret. She was interviewed and she gives, uh, she was asked about her decision to seize freedom and she gives two reasons. First, and I just love this, is the first reason? She said, because she wanted to be free. (laughs) But, But sometimes we're expecting, reason number one, I want to be free. That's why I left. Reason number two, she said, is that she understood that after the decease of her master and mistress, she was to become the property of the granddaughter of theirs. And she was determined never to be her slave. She said, no, I am free and have, I trust, been made a child of God by the means. So they never caught her. Um, George Washington died. uh, So she remained a fugitive until her death in 1848. And I know I have a note for when he died. One of you historians will just have to. Okay. All right. So she outlived him by some 47 years. And uh, Martha never went after her. You know what I mean? So she owned her. So she might have pursued, but she did not. And so she just lived in um, as a fugitive um, for the rest of that time. But I feel like... She serves such a perfect um, example for us. It gives us an opportunity for, for us to, to see how, sometimes it helps me because I know that in my life, I have lots of choices. In many ways, a very privileged life. I have some resources. I, you know, have a home. I'm a blah, 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 blah. And yet I'm challenged to just make a decision. Like Dr. Dan said, that rather than living in the grace of God, I have my face screwed up, not able to figure out what to do next. This notion, this intention that we have set for ourselves for this year of trusting divine guidance. We see this in in our sister, Ona Judge. We see it in her. We see her trusting in a future and setting a plan to execute it. So see, I don't know what all was in that Florida curriculum, but I suspect that nobody was spending a lot of time in how folks got out, how folks got over. And I'm sure that there's, do not hear what I'm saying as devaluing whatever is included. There are a number of authors that have just been redlined that feel so inappropriate to us. But redlining black authors does not make them disappear. Does not eliminate their works. We know where Marcus' books is. We know how to get their works. We know how to continue to support each and every one of them. We know how to form a book club. We know how to read in partnership with somebody. We know how to get this thing done. 
It simply is that we must have a plan and first an intention to get it done. First set an intention to get it done. I love this. There's a sign that is, um, where is this? I'm I'm not sure where the sign is, frankly, in this moment. But it talks about Ona. It's a tribute to her. And uh, it talks about her being a personal attendant as a child to Martha Washington. We have a, an image of it as well, um, that she, so you can see it as well. And how after he was elected president, you know, she came to New York City and later to, to uh, Philadelphia, as I've told you. And then after learning that she was to become a gift for the granddaughter, she escaped to New Hampshire. There she married, had three children, taught herself to read and write, and lived for more than 50 years, having resisted Washington's attempts to recover her. All I can say to y'all is, ain't that good news? I want to share with you that today is a first for me, and I know that this year will be many, many other firsts. Um, about just over 12 months ago, I stepped into the position of um, offering care and support for my godmother, um, who had begun to um, move towards a a clear diagnosis of dementia, and then ultimately Alzheimer's. And so we've been working through this for the past year with me getting all of the lessons that the divine can offer in that kind of situation with a patient who has dementia and Alzheimer's. And then a few weeks ago, a month ago, the Sunday that I wasn't here is because my godmother had a stroke that morning, an acute stroke that um, then led her to be in hospice care in my home for the past three weeks. So this is my first Sunday in my 71 years without my godmother. Um, My godmother passed on Tuesday. She was 97 years old. And I'm so grateful for the fullness of her life and the independence that she claimed. And I'm sharing this with you. One, because it's so difficult that I know I had to. Two, live the way I really want to live. I'd prefer not to, to just pretend like it hadn't and it would be my secret and all the other silly things that I might have managed to do. But I want you to know that Dr. Dan's affirmation for today has so supported me in in what I need to know for this. And I'm going to ask you did, did I, I don't even think I have it for y'all. So you'll just need to, I'm going to ask you to simply repeat after me. I know and affirm, I know and affirm. that there is an underlying foundation, an underlying foundation. In, the in the science of mind and in the Bible, and in the Bible. to my optimistic thrust into life. My everyday optimism optimism is not just idle speculation. speculation. It has substantial footing. footing. 
No one can measure the loving kindness of God. My heart is a part of the universal heart, which is the source of all joys and the wellspring of comfort. Today, my moments are laced with health, beauty, and joy, a fullness of the divine reality that is scintillating, all-consuming, and satisfying, and totally filled with the divine essence of love. And I've asked Dr. Felicia to please close us out in prayer. Thank you. Knowing that right where we are, God is. And if we take a moment to stop, look, and listen, and feel the essence of God right here, right now, as our comfort, as our joy, as our foundation, then we know we got good news to share. We can talk about how we got over how our ancestors have paved the path for each of us to be at choice way beyond what our circumstances would show us is possible. And so we just give thanks for this moment and a reminder that even in our journey, in this adventure in faith, we are not alone. As we lift up our beloved Reverend Dr. Andriette Earl, for her vulnerability, for her willingness to come to us in community in the same way that she always invites us, with our hearts, with our minds, with our spirit, and with the truth of who we are. Oh, it's a, it's a moment to give thanks. It's a moment to rise up in courage, to be all that we are here to be because there is more for us to be and do. And we have all that we need in order to be it, to do it, to know it, to share it, to become it, to be the love. And so I invite us right now to breathe that in together as community. And exhale, letting go, releasing any doubt, worry, fear, concern, limitation. Because none of it is real. The only thing real is love. And right now we are filled with love. We are embraced by love. We are encouraged and lifted up in love. We feel the light. We become the light. 
and getting our limited selves out of the way so the divine can shine through in each and every individual in our own unique way. We accept it and allow it to be so. And together we anchor it together by saying, Amen, Ashe, and so it is.